This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey, everybody. Welcome. Another episode of the Forever Mighty Post Game Show. Sorry, I'm stumbling here <laughs> as I just can't believe the way this game turned around on the Ducks as they fall to the St. Louis Blues 4-2 to two at Honda Center. Eddie, not the way the Ducks wanted to start their homestand here after two games on the road against tough teams that keep to come back into town to play the Blues. And it felt like the Blues controlled the play the entire freaking game all the way down to like the last half of the third period. Yeah, pretty much. And it wasn't the bounce-back game we were expecting after those two difficult back-to-back losses. I mean, they didn't come out with any fight whatsoever. Of course, we'll get into it later, but uh, Marcus Pedersen was a scratch again in this game with uh, Bushman and Bieksa being paired together, which obviously didn't bode well for how this game was going to go. And we really didn't see a push from the Ducks until about halfway through the third period, which by then, of course, it's too late. So, I mean, what are we going to do? I mean, it's it's three losses in a row now. We haven't had... Uh, a win in what feels like a long time. I mean, we were toting that uh, that we were 3-0 and since we started the show, and now we're sitting at 3-3. Three and three. So it's definitely hey, getting... we're 500. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> started off strong, and now we've kind of cooled off. So it's getting disappointing. No, it definitely is. I mean, the bright spots tonight uh, for the Ducks are definitely the RPG line. Getzloff, Perry, and Raquel. Um, they were causing all the buzz tonight. Um, then you also get to look at that defense pairing of Fowler and Montour. They had another great game. Linholm and Manson had a pretty good game, a solid one in there. But the curious one, as always, is Boschman and Bieksa paired together for the majority of this game because, uh, as you said a minute ago, Randy Carlisle decided to scratch Marcus Pedersen. We don't know why other than um, grit, leadership, and physicality is what uh, this old-school uh, train of thought. <laughs> yep, that's always why. So, And curious – uh, to see that Carlisle uh, in pregame comments had mentioned, I was reading the article by Eric Stevens, the Adam Henrique, Nick Ritchie, and Andre Kasha line not producing. Says Henrique has scored twice in his last nine games, but Ritchie only has one point, an empty net goal, and Kasha has gone scoreless. Not a good look. Obviously, they need secondary scoring, and that's what we were going to get into here in a minute is the Blues got all the secondary scoring. It was their depth guys that were able to put the puck on the net and uh, bury all the goals for them. Yeah, and and this was a line we'd relied on so much in the weeks leading up to these games. Pretty much right before the trade deadline, this line was just on fire. And we knew at some point they'd cool down, but this is ice cold. Like, Kasha is scoreless. Henrique has a couple goals in his last nine games. Like you said, Richie was just one point, and it's an empty net goal. Uh, this It's just disappointing. That's going to be the trend, I guess, of the show is just disappointment <laughs> because now we've got the first line firing at all cylinders, and that's what we're waiting for. 
and we were hoping that now with that line they could couple with the success from Henry, Gritchie, and Kasha, but they've just disappeared. The Kessler, Silverberg, Cogliano line couldn't keep up their play from that one game where we thought that was their best game of the season, and now the Ducks' offense is just looking anemic, and there's really nothing going on for them at all. No, and they, you know the one uh, great spot on this team that's been consistent all year is John Gibson. Is he would get the start in that tonight against Jake Allen, who's had a really awful second half of the season for him. So this was an opportunistic night for the Ducks uh, for them to jumpstart this offense against the team that uh, traded away one of its better centers um, at the trade deadline, and you know that upset players on that team. Like, hey, wait a minute, we're not dumb. We we thought we could play and uh, keep this up you know last year they got rid of Shattenkirk and this year they got rid of uh, Statsny and and uh, so you figured this Blues team that was stumbling down the second half of the season would be you know easy prey for the Ducks it just wasn't you know they went into LA and smoked LA last night seven to three or seven to four I think it was seven three so this Blues team on the second half of back-to-backs comes into Anaheim and applies all the pressure and uh that was just the story, like you said. But we do have some bright spots that we'll get to towards the end of the show, so I don't want everyone to think it's doom and gloom. So uh, on that on that note, Eddie, let's get the show started. Trying to get by Benning. Darnell Nurse left it in the corner. Gets up center. Perry. Scoops. Corey Perry. Lilia able to shake away from Solani. It's given away to Solani. Around in front. Score! Coming out of the intro, <laughs> we've got a comment I think that sums everything up, or at least a, a good way to get started with this recap here is the legend Gordon Bombay coming into the chat with, I'm drowning my sorrows with an entire box of Girl Scout cookies like, well, a girl. And <laughs> I think that's a, a good way to get into this first period summary, if I, if I don't say so myself. Well, I gotta ask him. I mean, what flavor is he doing? The s'mores, the new ones, or is he going thin mints, the classic? Yeah, gotta be what thin is he mints. doing? We got we gotta know what he's doing there. And if he does thin mints, is he doing them from the freezer? You getting them a little cold and eating them? There's only a proper way to drown yourself in sour with cookies, and if you're going thin mints, it's the only way. Just throwing that out there. I think we have to have like a, a cookie themed podcast for the next time. We have a special cookie themed podcast on the way, courtesy of Gordon Bombay. There we go. He can tell us all about them. Um, but no, I feel them there. It was a tough game. It was a tough go tonight for the Ducks. The end of the first period, um, the Ducks just—I don't know what to say about them. I don't know if this—if this team is just too slow, or if they didn't have the jump tonight because the Blues were just relentless on that puck. Uh, yeah. The Ducks would get a chance early though. I mean, Perry would flip it up to Getzloff. Getzloff would get a partial break in on Allen, but he was—he ends up getting jammed up too close and fires it in off. I think the glove or the arm of Allen there. But then it was just the Blues just creating buzz and traffic all around. Gibby had a big save there on Shen on a partial 2-1-1 break. Um, it just wasn't enough for Manaheim in this first period. Eddie, did you see anything like just different maybe in system-wise? I felt the Ducks were just scrambling like the entire game, the second in their own zone. Like They didn't have time to pick their head up. The second they picked their head up, you had two Blues converging on them. Like this four-check was crazy. Sadly, it doesn't look any different than what Nashville was able to do to the Ducks where they were just applying a lot of pressure, kind of suffocating their offense for most of the game. And it kind of seemed like the Blues had either watched that tape or knew the book 
on how the Ducks were going to play and just applied the same style in this game. And, and they couldn't do anything. I mean, other than that, Perry to get the left chance early on, there wasn't a lot that the Ducks got going in this first period and, and pretty much throughout the entire game. But this first period was, was pretty bad. I mean, other than that chance, I think Raquel had a couple good chances, but it was really just that line putting any pressure on, on the Blues. Uh, and they did a great job of just suffocating the offense. No, I mean, that RPG line was pretty much the only thing that you, that everyone's going to hear us talk about here uh, throughout this game, about the one that was generating all the all the scoring chances, it seemed like. Uh, but the Blues would get on the scoreboard first. They would come on with uh, two minutes and 30 seconds to go in the first period. They catch the Ducks, I, what I looked like to me as a, a line change. Bortuzzo was a trailing man in, gets the shot in on the blocker side on Gibby just over the pad. That's the new sweet spot. It's one nothing Blues. Yeah, and, and I mean, you mentioned it before we got into the intro and into the, the discussion we're having right now and how the, the depth guys for the Blues had stepped up in this game and there was a lot of secondary scoring. Well, I think this goes down the depth chart in secondary scoring when you've got Bertuzzo as the guy who's going to wire a wrist shot top corner to make it uh, one nothing for the Blues. And, I mean, he's, he kind of just comes in unmarked. And I get that he was a trailing man in and, and you know, he, somebody missed an assignment on him, and, and I guess you're really not looking for him to come in and make these ch- kind of chances. But yeah, I, I mean, you can't you can't leave anybody open in the slot, even if it, if it's Robert Bertuzzo and and he makes him pay. I mean, he had about 20 feet to work with, skating yeah. it from the blue line, uncontested. There was not much you could do there. I just hope that Gibby's able to you know read the play and make the save. And he just missed it. I mean, it was close, but uh, they get it up and over the pad. It's one nothing Blues. End of the first period. Uh, I wish we could extend the talk on the first period more, but the Ducks really didn't do anything. Um, They ended up being down in shots 10-7. to Um, As we start the second period, again, it's that pressure. It's just relentless on the forecheck. The Blues all over over Anaheim don't leave them any room to breathe. And then guess what? They score. It was just relentless pressure on the puck in front of the net. It was was a a shot from the point, hits Lindholm in the skates, stuck in his skates as he looks down. Um, Barbashev, not Tarasenko, not Shen. In front of the net, picks it up and uh, puts it by Gibby. Two nothing Blues. Yeah, and I mean this is the fourth line for the Blues getting a goal here, and I feel like Barbashev is probably a lot more skilled guy than you see on your normal fourth line, like the Ducks fourth line per se. You don't, I mean, Barbashev has a lot more skill than Grant, Chimera, or Kelly, but still, I mean, this is their fourth line jumping on you early and getting a goal, and it is a little bit of a lucky play, like you said, it gets caught in Lindholm skates. There's not a ton he could do. But it's that relentless pressure. It's that pressure on the puck. It creates chances. They throw a puck to the net, and it's 2 nothing Blues. And this is something we saw the entire game, and it was a real reason that the Blues were able to come out with a win. Well, I mean, and I noticed this break in my notes. It was like 17-minute mark, Blues score. Yeah. And my, the next line of notes is, gets up with a great chance in on Allen. Allen reads the play, makes the nice glove save. He kind of even had his glove up there, gets off, you know, trying to laser it over that, probably the crook of the arm. That's where you know the sweet spot is on the glove hand side, and you couldn't do it. And then it was just blues all in between the next play, which is where the Ducks would finally score the RPG line. Buzzing. Perry gets free from Petrangelo, kind of disappears behind the defense at that point. Um, Getzloff is able to pick up the loose puck and zips it all the way across the crease. Allen has to go all six feet across, not able to get there in time. And I think even Petrangelo looked over the referees like, what the hell? Because Perry tied him up and, and forced him down on the ice, and he lost him at that point. But the Ducks get on the board, and it's 2-1 now. Yeah, this is that classic play we've kind of been looking for for a while where it gets left to Perry. Perry's wide open in front of the net, and, and how many times have we seen this in the past? It's kind of a nice, refreshing take to see it now and, and to see them kind of clicking a bit. 
But it's not going to be enough when this is the only line that's clicking for you. I think you know it kind of turned the momentum a bit for the Ducks because they got this goal, and then they got a power play right after. Of course, nothing materialized on the power play, but. You know, these are the chances, especially when it's late in the second period, where you're hoping for some momentum to shift your way and to maybe tie the game up before the period's over. But I mean, of course, they don't end up doing that, and it ends up being three-one St. Louis. I mean, it's it's not even that the Ducks couldn't score on the power play; it's that the Blues had scoring chances. Yeah, shorthanded. They just Multiple. didn't let the it, keyword they, is they plural. Didn't give up. <laughs> scoring. Yeah, they didn't give up that, on yeah. it. Yeah. Was it Saboka that had chances in front on Gibby? Had, or Gibby yeah. had was forced to make a, a skate save almost along the post. Yeah, and the, they had two. I think they had at one point had a guy on the half wall and a guy down low pressuring the penalty or the power play. I just don't get it. I don't understand the Blues. Just like you said, had the read on this game before they came in and forced the Ducks to make some mistakes. There was lots of turnovers in this game by Anaheim because they were hemmed in their zone so much. And uh, the only play coming up before. Um, you said that the Blues would make it three to one. Was uh, Boschman getting beat by Vl- uh, Vladimir Tarasenko? Go figure. Yeah. Tarasenko was a beast. Bosch is at the end of his uh, the end of his career. Bosch trips him, and then where else would Vladimir Tarasenko go <laughs> other than into car- careening John Gibson as he makes the save? And the Blues get a power play after that. Yeah. Well, I mean, at least Gibby was okay. I mean, he he made up with uh, with Tarasenko at the end. They're patting each other on the back and getting. Yeah, up, I but saw that too. Scary. It's scary. We've we've seen that. Pretty much once a game, we see somebody fly into John Gibson. Uh, I mean, this not one is, Gibby's fault. It happens. Yeah, this one's on Boschman, really. I mean, he trips up Tarasenko, and, and like you said, he gets burned. But you're going to expect Boschman to get burned by Tarasenko ten out of ten times. So, uh, yeah, I mean, we're we're happy that he's okay on that play. But like you said, the Blues end up getting a power play, and who else but the guy who was creating chances earlier in the period and actually looked very good for the second half of that second period in Saboka. Puck kind of lands to him, I believe, and he spins in front and just slides it in under under John Gibson, and it kind of hits Gibson's pad too, and goes in the net. But once again, Boschman and BX are victimized on the ice for the goal. What did you think happened on that play for Gibby? Did he slip on his push across because he fell? He did that weird thing that he's pretty much not done a lot this season, which by is falling forward yeah. as he's making a save. I mean, I don't know if he overreacted on the play because when he fell forward and the puck went under him, and but it went in because he closed his legs as it hit him and he kind of swept it into his net. It looked like or banked off his pad into the net. I didn't try. I didn't get a great angle on the replay. Did he slide or slip or did you see what happened? Yeah, I'm looking at the the gift we put out now, and I think he just gets fooled a little bit. I mean, it's a good play by Saboka because he takes it on his backhand and then makes a quick spin, and I don't think Gibby was really ready for it. And he just kind of pushes late. Like, he makes one push that was short. And then he has to make another one where then he falls forward, like you said. So I, I think it's just a little bit of a mistake on Gibby's part. And he gets a piece of it. I mean, Saboka's shot was actually going to miss the net. And it hits Gibby's left pad and goes into the into the net. And then the Blues drop 3-1. But, yeah, I think it's it's a little bit to blame on Gibby. Uh, and then, you know, you got to partially credit Saboka for the good play and, and a quick turnaround. No, I agree. And, you know, the Blues, again, I mean, I don't know how many times i got to say it, just relentless forecheck. I would have to control find, like, every time I've said that on my notes, like, relentless yeah. buzzing, relentless. It's just n- no offense for Anaheim other than the breakthrough by Perry. Um, and then I put a question, on, you know, for us to kind of touch on here. I, we said it in the pregame, but where is this Ducks secondary scoring? 
We seem to be talking about it every other game, but there's just nothing. There's nothing from the cast line. We had a little bit when Silverberg had a couple of goals, but uh, Henrique had, like we said, he had a couple of goals in the past nine games, but nothing from Richie. And then the Kasha one is just the one that's puzzling to me. Yeah, I, I mean it's it's disappeared. It's it's not even like it's slowly kind of just dwindled away. It's just gone. It's it's nowhere to be found. I mean the second line has kind of been like that all season. But we had mentioned, like you said before, uh, earlier on in the show today, that that Henry Cash and Richie line was buzzing for so long, and they were actually the only line for a while that was getting going. Where it said, "Just wait until the Getzlap Perry and Raquel line gets going. We have these two guys firing at the same time. The Ducks are going to be not unbeatable, but a very hard team to match up against." And of course, when one line gets going, the other line completely disappears. And I mean, it's a worry for sure um, because. It's it's hard to say if this is a line that's going to get, you know, get back to where they were, get close to where they were, because it's easy to say Getzlaff, Perry, and Raquel are going to pick things up just because of the talent that's on the ice. But you don't really know with Henry Cash and Richie. They're great players and they can create offense, but they you know guys kind of know what they've got now. I think they surprised a lot of people when they were put together and they started playing very well and they're getting some favorable matchups because teams are throwing their third lines out or fourth lines out against them and they weren't having to face some top opposition. And I think now teams are kind of catching on and, and they're moving away matchups from that kessler silverberg Cogliano line because it's not been great all year and they're kind of pushing those matchups onto Henry, Cash, and Richie and they're not getting as uh, any, as good chances as they were before. Yeah, I know that's going to actually just take us into some post game notes later tonight about you know yeah. what can the what can the Ducks do to retool this um, you know in the meantime and get ready for the playoffs. But unfortunately, we have to run through the third period here, and the Ducks again um, just a, I wrote a dud of an opening five minutes. It was just they just can't keep it going, and then the pressure that they get the zone pressure by the RPG line they just they're not getting enough chances on net. It felt like it felt like they would miss a yeah. lot. And then they were having issues with getting the puck out of the zone. Um, but then, of all people in all lines, the Ducks would get their depth scoring we were talking about, but not from any of the guys that you would expect it. Kelly off the rush through a screen of Grant, and I want to say Saboka in front of the net. Um, Grant gets the tip through the screen, and all of a sudden, the Ducks cut the lead to one. It's 3-2 Blues. But you kind of felt like... Not that it was undeserved, but there was really no momentum leading up to the goal. And it was just one of those chances where you just throw a puck to net, takes a deflection, and it goes in. And, you know, there wasn't anything to warrant any play before that. Any, like I said, any any play that was kind of leading up to this goal where you kind of felt like a goal was coming kind of came out of nowhere. And then you're expecting maybe some motivation to come from a goal that puts you within one when you still got plenty of time left. And we still didn't see it. I mean, the Blues came right back with their pressure, and as you've said already, just buzzing with the, throughout the entire game. They didn't look tired. They kept up the pressure right after this goal, and the Ducks got almost no momentum from it. No, it's true. It was it, nothing, because right after that goal, the Blues come right back, and Giddy was forced to make a hell of a save on Shen. Uh, he tries to go high glove, and it's like he caught him shoulder glove area, and he was like, uh, 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 do I have it, do I have it? But yeah. Gibby was able to keep it. <laughs> Richie threw one through the crease. There was nobody there to tip, and I even put there, you know, he's been quiet. You know, it's just the story of that line. Um, and then maybe I thought something would be picked up here because Montour went to make a heavy hit on Saboka. And how many times have I said his name tonight, Saboka? I mean, that guy's just been yeah. all over the ice. Um, Montour makes a hit. I think he kind of missed the hit. He had both go flying, but, you know, nothing ends up coming to that. Um, and the Ducks finally looked like they were getting, you know, area chances, but 
it just didn't seem dangerous. It's it seemed a lot like um, the game against the Stars. It's not dangerous. Yeah. Even when they had chances, it just wasn't anything going on. And then I noticed there for a minute. I don't know if it was a line change. And I'm like, why is BX and Boschman out with <laughs> Perry Gasol? <laughs> I saw a lot of people wondering the same thing. Don't worry. I was like, what are they doing out there? It didn't make any sense. And I just checked their line, their time on ice, 5-on-5. It was like only a couple minutes. So every once in a while, I guess, you know, you get stuck in a change. But the Ducks would uh, have all their hopes and and dreams dashed away in this first game of a homestand as Berglund off a turnover of the pairing of BX and Fowler. He walks to the top of the slot uncontested, wires it uh, on the glove side of Gibby, makes it 4-2 blues. And that was the heartbreaker, the knife in the back. I don't know what else to say about it other than it was just disappointing. Um, I don't know if I want if I can fault BXO on that pass around the boards because it was like probably a safe play for him because he's not really good at, at walking the puck over the blue line. Yeah. Fowler missed the pass, and that was just all she wrote. Yeah, I, I it's hard not to fault BXO just because he's an easy you know go to, he's an escape goat on those types of plays. But but on that, that play, it's like yeah, on that play, it's Fowler. I mean, that's a pass he should have. It wasn't a hard pass around the boards. He's got to intercept that and make either another pass or trying to get a quick out, and he misses it. And it's an easy pass right there to Berglund, who, I mean, he's uncontested in the slot, which, again, that's a missed cover by whoever is supposed to be on him. And he's got almost all the time in the world, just like Bertuzzo did on the first goal, where he's able to pick his spot. Not much Gibby could really do on that one when he's wide open in the slot. And the secondary scoring for the Blues again, making the Ducks pay. So what? Now we have Saboka, Berglund, Barbashev, and Bartuzo with the goals. Guys you wouldn't expect when you've got Schwartz, Shen, and Tarasenko. I believe they're on the same line, or at least obviously out there on the same team. And none of them, I don't, even, I don't think even any of them really had a point. I'd have to check the assist totals, but it was really the depth guys and Alex Petrangelo getting it going for the Blues. No, that's a, I, I think you're right on that. Um, they didn't seem dangerous at all in this game other than that Tarasenko rush. You didn't really see or notice them and shit and had a couple of good shots. But nothing that was insane where they were just buzzing the whole night. It was, it was these depth guys getting the chances and making the most of them. Um, and an interesting stat here because there was nothing really good that happened for the rest of this period for the Ducks or the game not for that uh, for that matter. But Brian Hayward... And John Ellers were talking about a stat. They call it you know, shots from within the house, which is what we call, you know, looking at analytics. They call the home plate all the you know high danger chances. Eighteen of twenty-two shots at about the seven minutes to go mark in the third for the Blues were. That's where their chances were coming from. That is not good. No, that's and a real, real bad spot to be leaving guys uncontested. Yeah, and it it's feels like it's a trend. Obviously, I'd have to dig into it deeper, but. It feels like we saw a lot of that against Nashville and some of it against Dallas for sure. And it's it's kind of like teams were just waiting, waiting, holding back and picking their spots against the Ducks and then just applying severe pressure and forcing the Ducks to turn over the puck. And it's kind of worrying that it's three games in a row that we've seen teams playing the same way against Anaheim, kind of like they've figured out how to beat the system, not like it's hard especially with the way Randy Carlisle has been setting up this team the last few games. But uh, it's worrying because now we're we're getting into the stretch now. I think uh, Gordon Bombay puts in the the chat here that the Kings won 3-0 tonight. Last time I checked, San Jose was leading, I think, 3-1 or 3-2 against Detroit. And the Ducks got lucky where San Jose and L.A. actually lost, and Calgary, they all lost when the Ducks had some time off there between Dallas and this game. 
and now they waste yeah. some valuable points here and, and pretty much blow that effort with the Kings and Sharks both picking up points. Yeah, San Jose won five to three. Kings won yeah. three nothing. San Jose won, won five to three. So not good news there uh, when you're when you're out of town or when your rivals end up score or end up scoring enough to beat those teams that you're competing in playoff uh, positions for. That's uh, just not something Anaheim really needs to, <laughs> to have be a consistent thing or or like everyone being excited for the playoffs. They could easily be dashed away here. I mean, they're they're, they're playing with fire right now by going zero and three uh, in their last three games. The only other kind of thing I thought was odd is I saw BX out there when Gibby was pulled. It's kind of a head scratcher. I was like, why is he shooting the puck from the point? Why is he passing the? Why is BX on the ice? Yeah. How is anybody? <laughs> is there no one else available? When you've got guys like Montour, Fowler, Lindholm, and Manson that should be out there in the final two minutes of the game with the net with the goalie pulled, you've got to make up a two goal deficit. It uh, it makes no sense whatsoever to see BX out there, and I believe he made a couple bad plays anyway. Didn't keep the puck in on one chance. Didn't get a quick out on another. And yeah, I mean, I can't explain it. I, <laughs> I'd love to hear Randy Carlo explain how BX was out there for the the final extra minutes. I'm sure, it has to do something with grit or veteran experience or something along those lines. But yeah, it it really makes no sense when you've got mobile defensemen in Montour, Lindholm, and Fowler who can actually contribute on offense and, and you don't have them out there, uh, it's a head-scratcher. Well, let's cap this loss and uh, shoot it off into the sun to never be spoken yeah. of again because this is, let's just, you know, call a mulligan. Let's have the, uh, the home stretch start here on uh, on Wednesday against Vancouver. That's the game that we'll talk about here in a bit. But uh, the Ducks, you know, come up short on the Blues 4-2. to two, Don't make the best of their chances. Get out, you know, just get smothered. Get outplayed again. Just an unfortunate night. Um, let's get on to the post-game show. And uh, let's talk about a little bit of Marcus Patterson. Our good friend Jimmy tweeted, uh, hashtag free Marcus Patterson. He uh, was at the game. He upgraded his seats to sit in the lower bowl. And he said so we could watch Boschman and BX <laughs> up close tonight. <laughs> and I don't want to so much trash Boschman and BX. They get enough of that at their uh, you know, the later stages of their careers here. We're here to talk about Pedersen, and um, you're you're pretty big on Ducks prospects. What what have you seen from Pedersen, and, and what could possibly be that reason? Is there anything beyond the veteran or grit that we always talk about with this Bob Murray team? As yeah, to why it, he'd be scratched. It's it's interesting because I don't think he's played great, but I don't think he's played his way off the team. Uh, I think he's done enough that he should be at least be in a spot over Boschman BX, especially how we saw how much it benefited this team when one of those guys was out of the lineup and they were kind of alternating in and out and getting a little bit more rest. I think it was valuable to have that asset for the team. And, and it's even weirder the fact that we saw that Pedersen was skating on the second power play unit at practice, and it kind of seemed like he was getting some more responsibilities and they weren't going to scratch him, and then all of a sudden they favor Boschman and BX as a pairing instead of putting Patterson in there. So yeah, I, I mean it's it's interesting. That's why I put the the hashtag Marcus or hashtag free Marcus Pedersen as a part of our title for this podcast because it's a weird one. Um, you know, there was a question in the chat that we'll get to later, but talking about Jakob Larson and and how the Ducks have these young defensemen in their system, but they still seem to want to play Boschman BX together, especially when the experiment with Marcus Pedersen actually seemed to be going pretty well. Yeah, I mean, if you want to look at just plain old analytic numbers right off the bat, I mean, his, his course U4 percentage is around 43%, so his possession numbers are down, but you got to think of the minutes he's playing there. He's playing at the last share of his minutes with guys, you know, after he had his stint with Manson, he started playing with, uh, 
Didn't he play a lot with Bieksa? Or, or yeah, it's Bieksa and, yeah, and Boshman pretty much every night that he was out there without Manson. So, I mean, when you have that happen, it just you saw what that did to Lindholm's numbers. You saw what that did to Fowler's numbers. It, it happens to all the guys. Yeah. Um, but like you said, I mean, why not have a younger, more mobile guy? Why not test him in situations like this where they are physical? I mean, he's eventually, if you want him on the team, he's going to have to play these games. Yeah. Um, I, it was just why it was curious to me is why they would scratch him here. And I bet you anything he's in next game. He's going to be yeah. in against Vancouver. Uh, that's not a team that's going to be challenging for anything other than to you know play spoiler for the Ducks and try to keep them out of the playoffs by beating him. Um, I just it's a head scratcher for Randy Carlisle again. I don't I don't yeah. understand the, the you know the purpose of this. Yeah, and listen, we're not saying they would have won the game with Marcus Pedersen in the lineup. There is still a lot of other issues that they have to get solved here. But of course, it makes a huge difference when you don't have to throw that Boschman and BX pairing out there. And I feel like we saw them a lot more than we should in some situations where they shouldn't be out there. I, I mean, we had mentioned previously they were out there for a bit with the RPG line, which wasn't long, but they were still out there, and it it just helps the Ducks' defense kind of get things going when they can have at least one reliable guy in that bottom pairing. Lindholm and Manti can do their thing. Fowler and Montreux, who did have another strong game, can continue their play, and you don't really have to worry about those two guys being out there at the same time. And, again, I already mentioned this, but the weird thing to me is that he was skating on the second power play unit in practice, so it felt like he was getting more opportunities and they were going to be ready to put him in, in this game coming up. But like you said, we probably see him in the next game, and they're just gonna act like nothing happened. But and, and the Ducks could very well win that game, and then Marcus Pedersen will be scratched for the one after that because nobody knows what's going on in Randy Carlisle's mind. Yeah, no, I agree. Uh, Kevin Bieksa played 13 minutes and 30 seconds with Francois Beauchemin tonight um, in all situations. So there, there you go. That's how many minutes they've played. Not a ton, I guess. I mean, it's yeah. like they're playing 18 minutes a game. But, um, I mean, they were out there in some curious situations, and uh, I th- believe BX was on the ice for three of the Ducks' goals against out of the four, yeah. right? Yeah, which isn't a shocker, so, really. No, it's not. But uh, So speaking of Pedersen and prospects, let's move on to uh, talk about them a little more. We've, we've had some questions in, the, in you know, the recent past, you know, all of our six episodes now, but people have asked <laughs> about uh, players coming up in the system, and um, there's been talk of Troy Terry all over the place um, with Steele and Max Jones and Comtois, and we've talked about how good those players could be and what they're projected to be like. But realistically, we, we've been saying for, you know, a week or two now that this top nine is pretty much set in stone. You don't see a lot of movement, but when you're losing games like this down the stretch – and your offense, as you put, has become anemic, and your your uh, secondary scoring is dried up. Do you test somebody coming up and scratch one of your regulars? Do you test a Comtois, or which or a Steele, or or a Troy Terry at this point, or do you pull up like a Cali Costola or a Nick Cardiles? I mean, what do you think, or even a Kevin War or Kevin Wall? Yeah, I, I think when we mention guys like Comtois, Steele, and Jones, we have to kind of bring into the discussion that we're talking about the black aces who come up. Uh, for the playoffs, the guys who are finished their junior season, if the if it doesn't go long enough for them, and have the ability to come up and, and play for the Ducks, Comtois, Steele, and Jones, obviously under contract with Anaheim, so they have that ability to come up and play. But Steele, you can kind of scratch him off already because he will be in the Memorial Cup no matter how the playoffs go for Regina because they're hosting it. Uh, Max Jones still out injured. 
Uh, Kingston team that's probably going to make a long run in the OHL playoffs. So I would probably scratch him off, unfortunately, because I think he'd be the guy who could probably step in and make a, a bigger difference than most because of his size and, and his physical ability. Uh, for Maxim Comtois, again, he's playing on a good team. All Ducks prospects pretty much find themselves on good teams that are poised to make deep runs. So unless they get bounced early, I don't see him coming up and being one of those black aces. And then it really comes down to Troy Terry. And that's the most interesting one because his season with Denver, barring whenever that finishes, will most likely be up before the Ducks enter the playoffs if they get to that point. And he could be a guy that could make a, a big difference if he can slot in to the Ducks' top nine and, and maybe bump a guy out onto the fourth line and, and seeing what kind of difference he could make because uh, I don't know. I mean, he's not under contract right now, and I honestly don't know how that works if they sign into a contract now, if he can still come up and play or make a difference in the playoffs. But I think out of all four of those guys, he'd be the guy who could make the biggest difference and really is the only guy who realistically, realistically could have a chance of coming up this year. So my question to you is, if it's possible, do you pull the trigger on that? If you get him signed, do you bring him up? I, I mean, if he's available, I think you, you might as well. I mean, we've seen the Ducks when the goals have been out of the playoff contention, and we've seen, I think Steele was a black ace last year. I'd have to double-check that. But I, they didn't play, but they came up, and they got to sit with the team and watch how everything went down. But, yeah, I think you kind of have to. If the, the offense is still going the way it's going, um, which I doesn't really show any trends of going in the opposite direction if he's up and you can give him a chance you might as well give him a couple games see how he can do it's tough to throw a guy right into the playoffs especially guys never played a national hockey league game and would be just fresh off signing his pro contract but it's an interesting situation for the ducks because it doesn't really look like these lines are going to change anytime soon you're not splitting up that first line now the way they're playing and the second line almost never gets split up and you're really not going to see Chimera, Kelly, and Grant get bumped up to the third line. So this is pretty much what we're going to get. And it's, so, it's I don't really know. Sorry, I don't really know what they're going to do moving forward. So if they have that chance, it's like it's kind of like a why a why not? But I mean, you more or less see them bringing up like a a Kosala or a Wah maybe because the goals are poised to make a playoff run too. Yeah. So you can't be plucking guys off that team as much as you'd like. And didn't you? Didn't somebody mention Jacob Larson in the chat? Yeah, we had um, Chase Perez. He said, do you think Jakob Larson will be called up this season? And if so, could he be paired with Pedersen? That's the most realistic one, I think. Uh, of all the guys we have mentioned, especially with the uh, the goals, like you said, poised to make a, a playoff run, I think you know we talked about him before already, how it's surprising that all these other guys have been called up in front of him. He was supposed to be the Ducks' most valuable defensive prospect. And here he is still sitting in San Diego with not one appearance this season. I'd love to just see him get a chance, just one or two games, just see what he can do. I think he could have a huge impact on this team if if, he's, if he can do what he's projected to do. And it'd be very interesting to see him get paired with Marcus Pedersen, although I don't think it happens. But if those guys could gel together, imagine an actual mobile bottom pairing that isn't awful, and that does not feature Kevin Bieksa or Francois Boschman. You'd have to go and, uh, and and look up some Jacob Larson stats. He's been playing well for the goals right now, and I, and I think if you look at you know what he's poised to do, he's he's listed as a uh, he's only about six two, so he's not he's not oversized. But of course, like every Swede, smooth skating, outstanding yep. skating ability, 
Um, they say he takes the puck well with confidence, reads the game. Well, I'm reading off here off Elite Prospects. For those who don't know, you can check that out and look up prospects all over the place. Uh, for an amateur myself, like myself, and unlike uh, the expert on prospects, Eddie, over here, um, <laughs> you should go check out that side. And he's still a young defenseman, 20 years old. Uh, we got a glimpse of him, was it last season? In the, yeah. in the beginning? Yeah, for like a year, and they ended up not keeping games. him up. Yeah, it was really short. And I thought he looked good when he had that stint. Then he went back to Sweden, so there's no chance of him coming back. And now he's just been toiling away in the AHL. And we've seen Magna, Walensky, and now Pedersen all come up, and he hasn't even got a chance. I, I just want a chance. That's all I want. I mean, call him up now, give him a couple games, see how he does. I mean, especially with, with Marcus Pedersen being scratched, I mean, maybe we should have called this hashtag free Jacob Larson because he hasn't even got a chance with the big team this year. So I just I just want to see one or two games from him just to see what he's got, see what he can provide to this team, maybe pair him with Marcus Pedersen, like Chase said, although that is two lefties on one pairing and for guys who might not have ever played on – on the right side, it could be difficult for them to do that, but I, I just want to see him get his chance and, and show everybody what he can do. It'd be great to see that. That is such not a, a Randy Carlisle move to put yeah. two rookies on the ice together to defense. It means you have to give them a heart attack. <laughs> yeah, that's not. Um, yeah, unless you're they're so far up in the standings, they don't have to worry about, about dumping a game against a low team like Vancouver, maybe, but. Carlisle's so strict when it comes to you know, his lineup decisions, and they're usually based on veterans, veterans and leadership, and that's who he favors. Um, but I agree. It would be nice to see him get called up and, and play a game or two just to give him a chance. I Man, what is it going to hurt? Um, kind of jumping onto what everyone's talking about in the NHL, uh, the Hart Trophy. That's been a major topic all over the place with talking with the likes of you know, a Nikita Kucherov, a, um, a Taylor Hall, Evgeny Malkin have all been lumped into there but uh, to make it duck centric as we should on this show right now with how hot our offenses our offensive line of the rpgs the rpg has been do you give it to one of them if you had to pull a ducks mvp or are you going to give it to gibby yeah i mean it's it's an interesting question because we talked about uh gibby and the vesna on the last show i think of the show before that i think we talked about it kind of on both shows and how cole anderson had a tweet and he had mentioned back to me saying maybe he's more in the uh, the MVP discussion than the Vesna discussion. Now I, I gotta we gotta kind of clarify. I don't think any of these guys for the Ducks are in the actual Hart discussion, but right. just we're just talking about who's the most valuable player to the Ducks this season. But it's tough to take it away from Gibby. To be honest, he's been there for the entire season, barring when he's been hurt. He's been excellent. He has to be up there as the Ducks' best player. But I, I kind of want to just slide Raquel and Getzloff into the discussion. Because, again, Raquel hitting 30 goals. And, and the way Getzloff's been playing, especially as of late, I think he has, what, 16 points in his last nine games or something ridiculous like that. So he's been on fire. And, and he's the one of the only Ducks, or I think he is the only Duck producing over a point per game. So it's hard to take anybody out of the discussion. But in my personal opinion, I would have to give it to John Gibson. I would have to tend to agree with you on that. Um, the recency bias likes to creep in in every sports conversation when you're talking about players who are playing great down the stretch. They get noticed more than the guys who blew up in the beginning and then kind of became consistent. They didn't fall off, but they did, they weren't the explosive. They didn't have the explosive output as, as they did earlier on in the season. But John Gibson's been there. I just talked with uh, with with my co-host Jason for the Puck Guys about this on our show last night about John Gibson and. And how like I feel like he should be a Vesna dark horse. I mean, that's that's somebody that we should be talking about here. Yeah. Um, with all his numbers, the way they stack up, 
Um, he's right up there with the league leaders, and I don't see why anybody should say that uh, that he's not deserving as being named the Ducks' best player. But as you said, um, the Hart Trophy is so hard to get. I remember I talked about that on last show because I told everyone to, to tweet at you uh, highlights from Dominic. We got one. He's the only one that won it twice. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we got one, and it was it was Tamu bearing the goal in Game Five and overtime <laughs> over him against the Red Wings. I remember that Jimmy sent it to us, but. Uh, yeah, I think you have to go with Gibby on that. But uh, to kind of, you know, not run this topic into the ground too much with the NHL, because I know you and I can talk that. Yeah. How do you feel about uh, the Hart conversation in general? Just real quick, like, how do you feel about Taylor Hall being in that conversation? Do you think he's done enough, or do you think he's too far down the point standings to make that to make that uh, push for it? I think he's done enough, and, and I think one of the key stats when you're looking at at a guy who could win the heart is the percentage he contributes to his team's offense. I think that's one you really have to look at. And I think, unfortunately, doesn't get looked at enough because a lot of those guys are usually on non-playoff teams. And I feel like the two the two or three big guys who should be in the discussion or should be favorites, in my opinion, are all on teams who are either out of a playoff spot or might not make the playoffs. And that's Taylor Hall, Connor McDavid, and Nathan McKinnon. All three of them could realistically miss the playoffs and should be in the top five in the discussion for the Hart Trophy. Because, I mean, Taylor Hall just ended that 26-game point streak where he was pretty much the only guy going for New Jersey, trying to keep them afloat after their hot start. Nathan McKinnon has been arguably the best player in the National Hockey League. I think he leads the NHL in points per games played because he was injured for a bit there. And then, of course, Connor McDavid. I I think... The last time I checked, he was leading in uh, the, the, how much percentage he contributes to his team's offense, which isn't a surprise considering how bad the Oilers have been. I feel like you have to put those guys in the discussion. But then, I mean, the only the last guy, what? To, I think the last guy to win the heart from a non-playoff team was Lemieux back in 87, 88. So it doesn't happen Yikes. often. Yikes. Yeah. <laughs> And there's other guys you can put that are on playoff teams that could be in that discussion. I mean, Evgeny Malkin, Nikita Kucherov. There's a lot of guys up there. I mean, Alex Ovechkin to some extent as well. There's guys up there that could be in that discussion and that will probably get a nice bump because they're on a playoff team. So, begs the question, should a non-playoff team player win the Hart Trophy? Like, do you think that should be the case? If Hall misses the playoffs, if the Devils miss, do you think he deserves it? Does, even if he puts up eight, if he puts up eighty-five, which he's like, I think is seventy-four points. If he goes up eighty-five, almost ninety points, he, at that point, if he sure remains on his current pace, that's like damn nearly forty points ahead of the second guy in his team in points. Yeah, which is crazy I, to me. I feel like, like I already said, like I mean, I feel like those are the three guys, in my opinion, who should be one, two, three, just because of how much they contribute to their team on an individual level. And I feel like that's what the hard trophy is all about. Unfortunately, it's not always about that. And I feel like playoffs come into it too much because it's a team effort to get into the playoffs. And it's not that Nikita Kucherov and Evgeny Malkin have been bad. I think they've been their best players on their team. But you look at those teams, I mean, Tampa Bay is just unbelievable. And they've got Vasilevsky, they've got Hedman, they've got Stamkos, a bunch of other guys producing as well, and Yanni Gordon and Braden Point. So they've got offense and everything going from the entire lineup. And I feel like, yes, Kucherov's their best player, but I don't think he is the most deserving of the heart. I think the same goes for Malkin as well, when you've got like Crosby and Kessel producing very well on the same team. And that's why, like, when you look at McDavid and and McKinnon, who are sitting 3-4 in the point standings, and you got Taylor Hall 
who's sitting at 11, and how much they've contributed individually to their team's success, and the fact that in in uh, sorry in Hall and McKinnon's case that they're still at least fighting for a playoff spot, I'd have to give it to them. I in my opinion, I don't think it matters if you make the playoffs or not. If you're an MVP, if you're the most valuable player to your team, you should win the Hart Trophy. But it doesn't seem to happen often, of course, with Lemieux being the last one to win it almost what twenty years ago now. So. Yeah, I, th- I honestly feel like if McDavid takes the lead in points, he wins the heart, sure. regardless of the of the playoff output from Edmonton. There, he's I mean he's also the good old Canadian boy up there in your Great White North that everyone loves so much right now. Um, so he's going to get all the attention. When's the last time somebody won it back to back? I don't even know. Well, I, I think Hoshik won it back to back. I don't want to dive into so that because that's going to take it a while, but. I, I don't even remember the last out. time. Yeah, because if anyone in our chat wants to Google that for us, let us know what yeah. it is in the <laughs> chat. I'd love to know what it is. Because I, um, I don't think I've I've seen it at least recently. But but anyway, let's uh, let's move on to some more ducks related yeah. topics. Let's talk about something that I've been talking about with my friends for a while, and it finally popped up on uh, Eric Stevens' feed. He put out an article about it. The Ducks have put in an official bid um, yet again for an All Star game. Um, and they said they're in the queue. So whatever that means, uh, we already know where it's going to be next year. It's going to be yeah. in San Jose. Uh, last season was in LA, or in, uh, this season was in uh, Tampa. Tampa. Yeah. Last season was in LA. Next season's in San Jose. I can't see the Ducks getting it in 2020. Maybe 2021. Maybe 2022. It's going to come around after the next lockout. Maybe they'll be the ones yeah. to to uh, to break the All Star game back in for the season after the uh, the new CBA is signed. Because you know, without a doubt, there's going to be one. Um, kind of exciting times, though, for Anaheim. I mean, we've been wanting one here forever. They're only one of four teams that has never had it. Uh, what was your take on that? Yeah, I mean, it seems like it's close. And if you haven't checked out Eric Stevens' article, check it out. But Tim Ryan, the Ducks COO and CEO of, uh, CEO of Honda Center, uh, had a quote in here. He said he was confirming that a presentation was made to the NHL, which was believed to take uh, place last fall. And he said, we're definitely in the queue, referring to what you said, for an all-star game in the coming years. And it's definitely part of their discussions and conversations on a regular basis. So I think that bodes well. And I think they're definitely going to get one in at least the next four to five years, the way he's describing discussions as going. And it makes sense. You look at the trend. You've got L.A., Tampa Bay, San Jose now. They're kind of moving farther down here and looking at some of the other teams who don't traditionally get it, trying to boost up those markets a bit. Uh, for successful teams as well and I think it's a matter of time I would love to see the Ducks get an all-star game I think more people would be excited and probably willing to uh, attend a draft rather than the all-star game just because I think the prices are probably a little bit better and with the stigma around the all-star game I think a lot of people have moved on from the all-star game activities they've kind of gotten I mean they moved away from the stuff that's repeatable and, and we see every year in Tampa Bay, but it was still kind of the same old, same old, and it wasn't as exciting. I feel like they got to get back to the players drafting players on, and they like the, the NBA is going in that direction, and the the uh, the NHL did that that one year. I think where Kessel got picked last and he won the car. I mean that just made it more exciting. It added this different aspect to it. And I think if the Ducks get it, they've got to they've got to change it up. It can't be similar to what they've been doing. The NHL has been doing over the last four or five seasons, where I, the viewership, I, I feel like, has just kind of moved away from it. No, I mean the best All Star game I've seen in years was the first year they did three on three. It was in Nashville, and that's when John Scott got pushed in thanks to uh, 
you know, to Greg Wyshynski there, promoting him there with now with ESPN, then with Yahoo, where they uh, got him voted in. I think it was with Jeff Merrick, right? And they did their Merrick Wyshynski podcast and got them. They all voted, got everyone to vote for John Scott and, and yeah. pissed the NHL off. The NHL <laughs> tried to bury it by getting him traded and they were getting him to like some team out in, I don't know, like Labrador over in somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> it was like oh, yeah. It was St. John's, uh, <laughs> Montreal's AHL affiliate. But like, yeah, it's like. On the discussion of that, was it only exciting because of John Scott? I feel like it was. Like, the rest of it was kind of, eh. but it was just like, oh, okay, John Scott's in it. And then the Pacific Division team won it with him on it, so it just made it that much better. But if he wasn't there, I feel like it would have been the same old All-Star game. You can't you can't write that story. That story was yeah. so good. The, the NHL couldn't get it out of its own, couldn't get out of its own way with, you know, trying to make it, you know, promotional and popular. They tried to bury it like they always do. They can't have anything that's not script written, you know, yeah. God forbid a good story happens and you include the fans. So I agree with you. And they need more fan related stuff. I mean, it was cool. They brought out the, uh, the U S women's national team to uh, do some of the skills, but I mean, why not let them just compete in it? It's not yeah. for anything. It's just for fun. Let the women's like skills count, put one of the girls out there with, you know, fastest skater, do something to change it up and, and bring attention to the women's game. Why? I mean, why not? You're, you're just, it's skills. It's supposed to be fun. The fans are supposed to love it and be there for it. Um, they need to find a way to spice it up and, you know, getting rid of the player draft is something the players I think did, like they didn't want to be embarrassed or the whole thing with like them doing the breakaways and dressing up. They didn't like that either. And it's like, dude, it's it's one weekend. Okay. Why can't you be more like the NBA? (laughs) Just do something like, so a little, so a little self-promotion with being robots, but, uh, the NBA's all-star game, in in my opinion, I don't even watch a lot of basketball, but I'll watch the NBA all-star game just because they do a lot of stuff that's just fun to watch. I mean, they have that celebrity game beforehand, which is always a fun thing to watch. They've got guys from everywhere. Kevin Hart's always in it. It's just a fun thing to watch, and they got different events with the whole thing, and everybody's just having fun. And then when you watch the trending All-Star games for the NHL over the years, it feels like the fun has kind of just been sucked out of it. I mean, you were talking about having the women's hockey players. In a, Hillary Knight participated in the accuracy shooting. They didn't even post her time. They yeah, on it was TV, barely they just didn't even show it. They I missed it on TV originally because they they didn't really air it. They they were like going into commercial and they just threw it on and didn't post her time. I mean, just things. Like I think that. she would have got second. I yeah. think that she would have got second place had they yeah. let that time stand. Yeah. I I just they need to make it more fun. That's pretty much what everybody wants is just to be fun, not to have. I mean, we all like seeing the skills competitions, but when it's just guys going in for a shootout or doing a competition that they just kind of seem like robots, it's it's not a lot of fun for us to watch, and it's not a lot. Doesn't really entice people to go to the All Star game. I think a lot of people go for the activities and stuff they hold beforehand and after. But I mean, the game itself has kind of gotten a little bit boring. Even the three on threes revived it a bit, but the skills competition is just a nightmare. Yeah. So we'll see what that happens if that ever comes to Anaheim. We hope it does. Or even the draft. I heard the draft's fun to go to, so I would go to either one of those. I was at the uh, the L A All Star game, which was fun, but. It would be much nicer if it was only 10 minutes from my house. So hopefully that comes to Anaheim sooner rather than later, uh, which gets us to the next portion of our show. Eddie, do we have any other questions from Twitter or from uh, Instagram? I, actually, let me check Instagram. I didn't see any there. I know we have some on Twitter. Anything else in the chat? Yeah, we've got a bunch. So we've got like six or seven on Twitter and probably like the same amount in the chat here. So uh, we can go through them all down. Not all of them are Ducks related, but we'll just fire through them because, hey, why not? we got some time to fill. So... Jumping all the way back to earlier in the show, Gordon Bombay again um, asking Washington or St. Louis, whose team is more Russian? 
I think you'd have to go with uh, with Vladimir Putin's buddy Ovechkin, and just yeah. just by default, Ovechkin and the Capitals. I feel like that. I mean, what is it? It's Orlov, Ovechkin, Kuznetsov. Um, I keep remembering, like in the back of my head, I keep remembering when Varlamov and, and Alexander Semin were in Washington too. I feel like they've always just been this Russian team. Um, and then other than Barbashev and Tarasenko and St. Louis, I feel like, yeah, I, I'll go to answer Gordon's question. We'll go with Washington is definitely more Russian and maybe they can I would definitely go with that too. And add that to the discussion. <laughs> but, um, let's see here. So, uh, Manuel asking a question after that, I'll read the whole thing. Cause it's just a, it's a, it's pretty long. So he said, I find it frustrating that you get the feeling that the ducks have the mindset that we're going to play our game attitude. And it's like Randy Carlo makes no in-game adjustments to styles that are getting the best of us other than personal line changes. Same feeling during the Preds. In my opinion, the teams that, like we had said before, the teams have the book on us. And we had talked about that a bit. A bit. He said, if we were a dump and chase, ground and pound team, I sure don't even see that either. Uh, was Wagner the team juice thoughts? And there's a lot to kind of digest there, but what are your thoughts on that? Let's go with the beginning part of it. Let's go with uh, play our game, don't make end-game adjustments. Yeah. I, I mean, we didn't really see any uh, line changes. Like, they didn't swap, uh, you know, they didn't put Perry under the line. They didn't move Raquel to the line. That yeah. RPG line's buzzing, so it's hard to make a case to do that because that was – it's basically been the lifeline for the Ducks offense, so it's hard to pull a top guy off that and screw with it. Um, the secondary scoring, maybe they could have mixed up the line there a little bit just to see if something happens. But this is what uh, Bruce Boudreau was accused of, that he wasn't an in-game coaching change guy that made adjustments on the fly, that he wasn't really good at it. Um, I'm curious to see if that's the case with Randy here. I mean, I think the system it might be an issue here with how they play along the boards all the time. The Ducks like to exit zones along the boards and enter the zone along the boards, which leads to a lot of turnovers unless you have mobile guys out there like a Cam Fowler, Brandon Montour, who can walk up the middle. Um, a lot of times the game is along the boards for them, and I think that can become problematic against speed teams, and I think that's what we saw tonight. Um, And that's why Getzloff, Perry, and Raquel had so many chances because they were the playmaking guys. But uh, speaking to what Carlisle and what he has or hasn't done in this lineup is exactly what we talked about a few minutes ago. They haven't brought anybody up from the goals in a while uh, to play forward and and scratch a, a guy who's been cold, and I think that's a problem. And yeah. they need they need to figure that out. I know it's only been three games. It's not like they've been losing and losing and losing. But this is not the time to lose. With the Kings and the Sharks winning tonight, the Ducks are in a scramble and they need to make some changes there. That's I know I said a lot there. It was like a mouthful of everything for, for Randy <laughs> Carlisle. But um, you want to go ahead and take the second part of that? Yeah, and I feel like how he brought up that it just kind of seems like teams have the book on us. And we had mentioned that earlier in the show too. It, it kind of feels like that, at least the last three games, because Nashville – Dallas and St. Louis have all kind of played the same hard forechecking, high-pressure style, and the Ducks really haven't been able to deal with it. And I think a lot of that, again, comes to the fact that nobody's really firing except for that first line. But it's it's hard to get anything going when you just succumb to that pressure and you have no real way to work around it or adjust your lineup in-game to really focus on what the other team's doing. And we don't see that often from the Ducks where they're able to change things up in the middle of the game and put somebody out there who can make it be a difference maker on a different line. So it, it's disappointing. Um, I don't know how they work around it either because we talked about how we don't know who can really move off of the lines that are set up right now. And he says, I mean, if we're a dump and chase ground and pound team, we still don't even see that anyway. 
I mean, the Ducks don't really have a style, it almost seems like, right now, other than just succumbing to whatever the other team's throwing against them. Yeah, and they haven't come alive except for third periods recently, right? I mean, that's what we saw uh, the push tonight. They definitely had the, the better of the chances against St. Louis, but it wasn't a lot. They didn't seem ultra dangerous. That uh, was definitely the case against Dallas. And you got to give credit, though, to Dallas and Nashville. These, these Two of these three losses were against really good teams. Um, you can't sleep on Dallas just because they're not, you know, at the at the tip top of the, of the division right now. Uh, Nashville is just Nashville. Like we we talked enough about them, uh, but this is a game the Ducks probably <laughs> wanted wanted to at least grab at least a single point out of it, but probably should have won. It was something that I, I feel like the Blues are a beatable team right now, and the Ducks just didn't come with their A game, and the Blues um, just relentless forecheck. I mean, you can't be standing still with guys like that, and that was the story tonight. Um, we'll have to see how this changes going into Vancouver. Yeah, and unfortunately, I mean, Philip kind of brings up a, a same topic that we're on right now. He said, how hot is the seat that Carlisle sits on right now? And unfortunately, I, I think it's almost ice cold just based on the comments that Murray made to the Athletic before the trade deadline, how he feels like this team's a lot better than they're presented right now. And he can just wait on things, wait till he eases help healthy, wait till Kessler's 100% healthy until next season. Um, and he's really kind of taking all the blame away from Randy Carlisle. I feel like no matter how bad it gets for the Ducks at this point, I feel like Carlisle's job is, is pretty much safe until next season, and then the blame can start coming from Murray on him, which I think is a little bit of a cop-out because I think a lot of the issues that this team has right now should sit on Randy Carlisle's shoulders, and that seat that he's sitting on should be pretty hot. But in my opinion, I don't. I honestly don't think it is. I don't know about you, but just based on, on BMGM's comments, I feel like he's not really on the hot seat. I don't think either one of them are, really. Um, This team has been on fire since Christmas. They've played a hell of a second half so far. They've had a a dead stretch here of three games. Let's see how the next week goes. I mean, if we start seeing loss after loss after loss, and then you can maybe see, like, okay, this team's healthy, and now we're in full collapse. Like, this is not not acceptable. Something is going to have to change at some point um, if that's what this – you know, ends up being, which we hope doesn't. There's very beatable teams in this on this homestand, and the Ducks play the majority of their games at home the rest of the season, so they need to make the most of them. But I don't see either one of these guys being on a hot seat, you know, especially uh, Randy Carlisle. It's hard to fault the guy, you know, for all the injuries, you know, and, and now he has a healthy team. He should be winning, and they have been. This could just be a cold streak for the Ducks. Yeah. So let's hope they turn it around on Wednesday against Vancouver. Yeah, and I think we'll get a better idea of the next few games and seeing if the secondary scoring can actually pick up. Uh, and hopefully it does because the Ducks need to get something going, especially against some winnable teams coming up. Uh, getting back to the chat, uh, Chase said Terry Henry Kasha question mark when we were talking about uh, Terry possibly coming up. I think that's where he'd probably fit in. I think that's where he'd have the most impact because I don't see them splitting up the top line, and I feel like it wouldn't be wise to throw him onto a tire fire and Kessler, Silverberg, Colangliano right now. So I feel like that could help them a bit, and he would obviously provide a little bit more skill than what Richie provides. Um, Gordon Bombay saying, how about we bump Chimera and Kelly dot, 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 off the team? <laughs> so uh, I feel like they looked okay, but we don't get to see them for more than seven or eight minutes. They had their chances sometimes in this game. Obviously, through that fourth line getting a goal off Kelly's shot, Grant gets the tip in. So I, I'm not going to say that they're the big fault for this team. And I mean, when that line's generating offense in the second and third line art, I mean, at least we're getting it from somewhere. 
But um, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's hard not to, to get mad at them when those were the only acquisitions we made at the deadline, and there was a lot of other players out there could definitely help this team scoring right now. So I, I can see where the anger is coming from. No, absolutely. And I mean, honestly, you're not going to see Chimera or Kelly on this team next season. Yeah. Um, and there's a chance Grant won't be, but I, I feel like he is. We talked about that before. He's going to be yeah. back. He's, he's a Carlisle favorite right now. And he put up, I think, nine goals in the season for as a fourth liner, even though he did he did have some time as uh, the first center <laughs> when there was injuries. But uh, uh, we'll see how that goes. Phil coming through on the chat telling us that Hasek was the last player to win the heart consecutively. So you were right. Ah, it's been a while. There we go. So, yeah, I mean, it'd be interesting to see if McDavid could win. I'm not going to get back in a discussion, but it's interesting to see it's been that long since somebody went back-to-back hearts. And if anybody was going to do it, it's McDavid, really. Like, let's be honest. Yeah. Um, let's see. Gordon, Bombay again. Lockouts are so fun. Can't wait to have hockey. Or sorry, can't wait to not have hockey due to greed and stubbornness. I completely agree with you on that one. Uh, let's see. Uh, Manuel Beza just asked, do you think Bieksa is offered a one-year, $1 million contract at the end of this season? This is something we talked about before. Uh, it's a possibility. Uh, I've also heard rumor that he's not really favored by management right now, surprisingly enough. That's just some rumors I've heard. But uh, we'll see what that means coming up in the offseason. But it's definitely a possibility. I mean, you see how much his utilization is this season. Yeah. I mean, he was he was uh, put out on a line with Boschman tonight. Um, that's happened more than once now, so which is an absolute disaster. But I mean, somebody likes him on this team. I, I could definitely see the possibility. I just hope it's not for obvious reasons. We need to see young, younger guys go up and fill the role. Yeah, I, I hope it's not just for the same reason where I want to see some of these younger guys get some more time and able to develop on on the Ducks blue line because then you have the the ability to put the two top pairs together and at least experiment on this bottom pairing. You're only play, playing them about 10, 12 minutes a night. And I think if you got some young guys there mixing things up between Magna, Wilinski, Larson, and Patterson, I think that provides a lot of opportunities for the Ducks next year. So I hope not. But again, like you said, somebody likes Bieksa in this lineup, whether it be Bob Murray, whether it be Carla, whether it be a mix of both. I think it's a very strong possibility that he gets offered a one-year, one million to kind of play that seventh defenseman role. Which I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't love it, but I wouldn't hate it as long as he's not playing all eighty-two games. Right. Uh, yeah. Um, moving on to Twitter, our uh, current Forever Mighty Three Stars leaderboard leader asked, is it time to panic? No. Yeah. It's not time to panic. It's time to, uh, to get our craft together and and figure it out as a team. They need, they need to do something here and, and make a change because of what we were just talking about, about with this, uh, this competitive playoff race right now, there's no time to breathe and take nights off. I don't think it's panic mode. I'm bringing up the standings right now because this is always something fun and scary to look at while we talk. <laughs> Considering our rivals had won tonight, we're looking at right now Vegas, San Jose, and L.A. are 1-2-3. and three. Ducks right now sitting outside a playoff position. They're tied with Colorado, but Colorado's got two more wins. Um, yeah. The Colorado also has two games in hand. Yeah, They're one point behind good. L.A. and three behind San Jose. They need to win. Like this mm-hmm. is a This is no more screwing around, no more nights off you got to win these home games coming up. They're playing Vancouver on Wednesday, who just got beat by L.A. This is a very beatable team. And the Ducks right now may be a little fragile coming off of the hot streak and getting getting beaten up these last three games. But this is a, definitely a game, if you're going to pick a team to beat, 
Uh, the Canucks are, I mean, my God, are, are playing some of the worst hockey in the NHL. So there's no better time than now to step it up. Yeah, and I think this transitions a bit into a question that uh, Drew had on Twitter. With the, with the Ducks out of a playoff spot right now, he said, is it too late to start falling for Dolan? <laughs> uh, I, you'd have to I take think a deep so. jump yeah. off a cliff for that. It's a little too late. Yeah, I, but if the Ducks are to miss the playoffs, what are they looking for in the first round? Are they looking for forwards? Are they looking for defense with the first pick? I feel like it's probably a forward rather than a defenseman because you've got kind of those four guys, young guys in your system that you can build around. You've got some younger guys coming up. I feel like you kind of have to start building that forward depth and having guys who can come in the system in, in a couple, well, three or four years. Bob Murray's uh, always has been a guy about defense first. He's yeah. always been like, I'm not going to pass up a good defenseman. Like, that. I'm just you can never have too many of them. Like, everyone always gives him a hard time for, you know, over-loving his prospects. You know, I'm one of those guys that talks about him doing that. But, I mean, that's just the way he is. You can never have too much young defensemen. So, I mean, yeah. I, I could see him picking another defender first. But, I mean, they've went out and got some good forwards, you know, as of yeah. late. Sam Steele, Max Jones, who's highly highly touted as well. Both those guys are. Comtois has actually come out of nowhere. We talked about him many times on the show. And now we're talking about, you know, the Ducks are going to go full bore into trying to signing uh, Troy Terry once his season's done. Um, how do you feel? You're a prospects guy. What's Who's coming up after Dolan? I mean, that's all I've heard is everyone talking about Dolan coming into the NHL, you know, right away on a bad team. Um, who do you see being plucked after him? Yeah, I feel like the Ducks won't even get into a position where they'd be able to pick that high unless they got very, very lucky and won the lottery. I mean, this is a team, if they miss the playoffs, they're just going to barely miss the playoffs. Uh, but as for guys right after Dolan, it's pretty much Andrei Svechnikov from Barry. And Philip Zadina from Halifax, those are the top three guys right now. The Ducks would be lucky to get any of those guys. They could step into the lineup probably next season and be guys who can contribute to your top six. Again, I don't think the Ducks are going to get to that point. They're most likely, if they if they do miss the playoffs, going to get a pick around, around 15, 10 to 15, depending on how bad they are or if they get some favorable draws in the lottery. So that puts you in a position to grab some good guys. Um, I think a guy like Akil Thomas or Dominic Bach are good guys, good wingers, and guys who can play center that you can draw at that position. I'm not going to go in-depth on the draft. I just think there are some good players you can get at that point. But I think we would all love the Ducks to just make the playoffs and not even have to worry about that. Yeah, no, I mean, get in. I would I would hope to God they get in um, in the top three in the division. That way they're not sitting in a wild card having to play someone like Nashville in the first round. That's scary. Yeah. Uh, especially the way Nashville kind of manhandled them through 50 minutes of, or 55 minutes almost of that game uh, a couple nights ago. Yeah. Uh, so what do we got? What do we got next on Twitter? We have like a ton of questions today, which is great, <laughs> but we still have I some love more it. on I Twitter. I love the participation from everybody in chat, everyone on Twitter. We love yeah. you guys. Thanks for tuning in and helping it's us a, out here and, and, uh, and, and checking it out. It's a nice refreshing change from the last two uh, away games where I think everybody was just kind of disappointed. They were done. <laughs> and yeah, they were they were done. Yeah, but um, Kyle on Twitter said, "Where would we be without Gibby?" And uh, I think we've kind of mentioned this multiple times. The Ducks would probably be far well out of the playoffs. Probably a lottery team if Gibson wasn't playing the way he's been playing this season. Yeah, I could see him right around that uh, Edmonton Vancouver bubble area right there. Right, you know, yeah. all the way down. Has to be thirty yeah, wins. How many last... games has he won on his own? Really, and even Miller yeah, to the same no, extent, true. right? So, um, let's see. Chase has a couple of questions on Twitter. 
I don't know if this is a question, but I'll read it anyway. He said, people need to chill. Bieksa is most likely not coming back next year, and Boschman is retiring, so we're likely going to have a new third D pairing next year. Just bear with it until the season is over. I feel like that's half right and could be full right, depending on if the Ducks re-sign Bieksa. We just went into a full discussion about that, but I, I kind of agree with him. I feel like people should just chill out a bit. I mean, of course, we would love to see BX and Boschman not in the lineup right now, but we kind of got to deal with it, at least for this season. Boschman is not going to be back next year. BX, I think it's 50-50. It's up in the air whether he'll be back or not. And if he is, he won't be playing the same role he's playing this season. So I feel like people got to just calm down a bit. The Ducks are still young. That blue line still has a lot of promise, and I think next season it should be a lot better in what they can kind of put out on the ice in regards to the blue line. I absolutely agree with that, 100%. I'm on... I'm on board with you there. Uh, Chase again saying, do you see Anaheim signing any of the current fourth-line guys? Most have expiring contracts at the end of the season, or should they bring up some guys from San Diego? So, again, we kind of talked about this a bit, but do you see them re-signing like Chimera, Kelly, Grant, Vermette? Vermette hasn't played in a while, it seems like. So do you see them re-signing any of those guys? Um, No, and uh, other than Grant. I think yeah. Grant's the only one getting a contract. As we said, I said earlier, there's, there's no way. I don't see anyone being anyone else being signed. Vermette's been we barely see Vermette anymore. Um, and Kelly and Chimera, I just don't feel like they fit in. And you you can maybe see one of them maybe being signed, but they're old, man. Like I yeah. know that I'm in my mid 30s, but for, <laughs> for professional hockey players, they're hockey that's old. old. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> they're hockey old. They're almost 39, 40 years old. That's old. Time yeah, to hang them up. And, and on the same trend of that topic, we get a question from Jacob, or just kind of an observation. Uh, he said he wasn't able to attend the live show, so we're answering his question here. He said, just curious, your thoughts on Grant being a valuable fourth-line center. Seems to contribute offensively and win face-offs. Would seem to be a good fit for younger forwards to work with his size factors there as well. I agree with him. I think he's a serviceable fourth-line. I think, I mean, his numbers are a bit inflated from where he's been positioned in the lineup, especially earlier in the season, but... I can't complain. I mean, as a fourth-line center, I think he brings more to the table than what Vermette brings. He brings a little bit more offense, uh, brings a little bit more hustle, I, I think, as well, which I, I guess is an intangible, so I can't really can't really rely on that too much. But, yeah, I, I think he is a more reliable fourth-line center, and I feel like he could be the Ducks' fourth-line center next season with Wagner no longer on the team and with Vermette and Kelly probably not coming back. I don't have a problem with it. I mean, a fourth-liner doesn't really move the needle either way for you. Yeah. And, and, and unless you're rolling four lines where with like like high level scoring guys in there, which no one just has the cap space to do, there's probably just not enough talent to go around at that point either to have you know a deadly fourth line. Yeah. Um, it's hard enough to roll three lines. Uh, the, the, that line you just want them to do the, the hockey cliches: pucks on net, pucks in deep, don't make mistakes on your shift, get off the ice. Like that's that's what the fourth line's for. Uh, maybe to ride a couple of young guys on there too, get them some NHL experience with a veteran. I think Grant is definitely going to get a contract back. Um, he's he's loved by uh, Randy Carlisle and you know Bob Murray's buddies with Carlisle. Obviously, he fired him and brought him back. So if they like Grant and uh, they want to sign him, he will. And I don't have a problem with it at all. I don't think it really moves the needle up or down. Yeah, and, and kind of sum it up all here. We have a, a final question. Moves away from the Ducks a bit, but Phil asks, aside from the Ducks, who is your Cup dark horse? I'll I'll kick it off here because uh, I think. I have one that is, I guess it'd be a dark horse. I mean, they're just hanging on to a playoff spot. But I think Philadelphia is a team that could stir things up in the playoffs, especially, I mean, they're going to look, their their first-round matchup's probably probably going to be against Pittsburgh. That's going to be a fun one to watch. But I feel like just the talent they have on that team with Giroux, 
Kucherie, Voracek. They got some good young defensemen, and you don't always need to have that elite goaltender in the playoffs. You just have to get a guy who's playing hot. And I think Mirax is a guy who can step up to the occasion and play well for them. I would have them as my dark horse. I don't think anybody else really fits into that. I was going to say Winnipeg, but they're not really a dark horse considering how well they've been playing. So in my opinion, I'd have to pick Philadelphia. I'm interested to see who you would say. You know, my my pick, I mean, obviously everyone's got to go through Nashville to get out of yeah. the West. But I really feel like everyone is doing what, uh, including myself, sleeping on Vegas again. I mean, yeah. sleep on Vegas all you want. You know, they're going through a rut. They're now they've went they've now won three in a row. They just beat Philadelphia as you just talked about, who's who's playing really well this season. I, I mean, that's tough. That's so tough for Vegas to come in. But I don't think they have like a a great chance to win a cup. But if you're talking like a dark a dark horse chance where guys are just maybe they're going to sleep on these guys. I mean, there's a chance there. They they've done everything they possibly can to surprise everybody this season around the around the National Hockey League. Everyone's caught Vegas flu at one point going into that arena. Who knows what's going to happen in a seven-game series? It's a lot easier to pin down guys and read plays and read systems in four games. But if you're going to have me roll the dice on somebody, you know, no pun intended, I would have to say Vegas. You can't sleep on them. Yeah, and I kind of forgot it here, but I want to throw in some love for the Florida Panthers because they're not currently in a, in a playoff spot. But I feel like if they could get in, they could be a scary team because, I mean, they're going to play either Washington, probably Pittsburgh, or even Tampa Bay if they get into that final wildcard spot. But they've got a good young team with Barkov, Trocek, Ekblad. If Luongo can pull together the way he's been playing this season, there's no question he can make a help them make a long push. I feel like they could be a team that could scare a lot of a lot of guys if they got into that last spot. Um, we were done, but we got a late question here from Manuel. He said, when do you pull the plug on the shutdown line, either like this season or mid-next year if nothing changes? We got to see how Kessler's doing at the end of training camp, yeah. uh, at the end of the summer. We got to see how he's doing. Um, he's been working really hard to come back, as everyone knows. We read the articles about him with uh, all the pain he's been going through. You know, the giant needles he's been using to uh, to recover and uh, those, you know heal those muscles and stuff in his hip. Learning how to skate again, learning how to walk again, all that stuff. Um, you got to see, and that that line drives through him. I mean, it's yeah. just the way it is. And these guys are having a down year, and they know it. They got a lot to live up to uh, for next season. I mean, Cogliano signed a contract. Kessler's got that big contract. Um, Soberg's got a couple of seasons left on his deal. Uh, they need to turn it around. I don't think that they're going to get split up or the, have the plug pulled necessarily. I think things got to be really bad. It's got to be real bad. If things don't change, I think you have to mix it up. But uh, I think it all rides in how Kessler comes into training camp. Yeah. And just to end it off here, uh, we don't have any more questions, but I wanted to end it off with some of the quotes from the players and, and Randy Carlisle before uh, before we get into this. Now, for you, so you guys know for, for future shows, we're actually working on being able to get some of these audio clips in here, so by the time we get to this point in the show, we could plug some of these in. Uh, we don't have it right now, so I'll just read them off, but this one's from Getzlaff. He said, it's not a frustration with our effort, it's a frustration with the fact that we're having trouble understanding what it takes shift in, shift out every period. That's the frustrating part we have to address to make sure we're doing that on a consistent basis. I think he kind of hits the nail on the head. Just the fact that things aren't really going for anybody on this team. And it really just seems like they're all kind of confused with what they're supposed to be doing, shift in, shift out. That's interesting. Yeah, Let's see that change up come against Vancouver. I mean, yeah. St. Louis obviously is leaps and bounds better than Vancouver. But, um, I mean, let's see how you guys play against the worst in the NHL. 
Yeah, exactly. Prove it. Let's see the, let's see the changes. Yeah, and then the last one's from Randy Carlisle, and <laughs> I, I feel like he's copping out a little bit here, but he says, you have to give them credit, but we need to understand there's a certain type of game that's being played right now. We've given the opposition too many gifts in the last little while. Those are mental breakdowns that have to be corrected. I feel like he's pushing it a bit on the players uh, in that instance. I, I mean, there's a, yes, there are mental breakdowns. Yes, they're giving the opposition some gifts, but the entire play style of the team is just not great right now. And I don't think it's necessarily turnovers like I think it was uh, about a month ago where the Ducks were losing games because they they made a bad turnover pretty much twice or three times a period. It's almost like now they're just not playing. They're just not playing a system that's working, and I think he's kind of pushing that blame a little bit. Yeah. No, I agree with you on that. And, and uh, St. Louis isn't out of it. Yeah. They, they fell down the standings, but they're one point behind Anaheim. They're one point behind Colorado. And this is this is a team that could sneak into the playoffs, and why not? Why not prove yeah. their ownership wrong that they that they weren't falling down the standings and, and going to crumble? That they have a chance to make the playoffs still. Um, they got a lot to play for. They were like I talked about earlier. They were upset. So shame on you, Randy. Make some make some lineup changes, man. <laughs> make the good moves. Let's do something here. Uh, before we wrap yeah. on this, do you think that uh, let's talk about Vancouver? Do you think Ryan Miller gets to start? You rest John Gibson. Um, I, his former team. Yeah, um, I, I feel like you you would want to go with Gibby. I know it's San Jose. I'm sorry, I know it's Vancouver, um, so it's an easier opponent. But it's not like you have to go into that game playing Miller. I mean, Gibby gets a day off. You and you play the next game. You play after that is two days later against Detroit, and there's really no back to backs coming up. I, I believe until the last two games of the season. So if if I was the Ducks, I would. I'd run Gibson until you're at least in a comfortable position where you don't have to run him the way he's been playing. I wouldn't even try. And it's not any slight on Miller and the way he's been playing, but I think you've got – this is why you have a number one goaltender. And especially the way Gibson's been playing. He wasn't really strong in this game, but I can't really blame him for the, for all the goals. And I feel like you just got to go with him no matter what. No matter who you're playing, no matter how bad the team is, there's a lot of teams at this point of the season that are trying to play spoiler. And I feel like you got to run him in this game against Vancouver. Unless he has a bad game, I feel like you got to run him for the entire rest of the season until really the last game on the Saturday in April where you're playing Arizona as the last game of the season. Unless you don't need him in that game, then you might as well just play Miller. But, yeah, it, it really, in my opinion, for the next 11 games has to be Gibson. Yeah, why not, right? Get him primed and ready for the playoffs. Don't, yeah. you know, no rust going in there. I agree with you on that. I just wanted to see if you if you think this coaching staff would make that kind of change. <laughs> I <Yeah>. hope they don't. <laughs> I don't think so because they, they feel like, other than back-to-backs, they've gone to Gibby when he's had enough rest and he's coming off uh, either a good game or a game where they thought he played well despite the score. And I feel like that's kind of this one. I, I feel like he played pretty well on this one despite losing 4-2. Uh, to two. But... I don't know. I mean, I wouldn't put it past them after three losses in a row where Gibby's been a part of two of them to try and switch things up with Miller. But I, I, this is the point where you need your number one goalie. You need to be able to rely on him going into these, this stretch here where you're, you're sitting outside of a playoff spot. But stringing together a couple of wins can put you right back in the discussion, and you need to rely on him, and rely on him if he's going to be that guy for you. I agree. So uh, unless you got anything else for us, Eddie, let's uh, – let's- Put a bow on it. Call it a night. Yeah, we're good. Uh, thank you to everybody tuning in. If you stayed live through the whole show or even part of the show, I know it's late. We appreciate it. We love you guys. Everyone on Twitter, thanks for the questions, the participation, liking and retweeting anything we post. We love that too. Participating in our three-star leaderboard. 
that Eddie spends tireless hours putting together because so many people join in and participate in that. So we got to uh, give Eddie a pat on the back. Um, anyone who, who's chimed in on Instagram or on Facebook, I'm working harder on getting that Facebook up and running. I finally got it set up on my phone so I can post directly to that. So we should see more things on Facebook coming in. As always, check us out on Spreaker. And Eddie, go ahead and round it off. Where else can everyone find us? Yeah, so uh, I say this every time, but you can find us pretty much anywhere you consume podcasts. Where like Spreaker just distributes it everywhere. Uh, the main place, if you want to go find us, is on iTunes. I know a lot of you guys consume podcasts there. If you are heading over to iTunes, uh, if you guys want, please leave us a rating and a review. It helps us get the show out there. It helps people find us. And hopefully, like you guys did, so many of you did today, and, and join the live chat or join the discussion on Twitter. It really helps us out and gets the show out there. So, again, like Patrick already said, thank you to everybody that came out to the live chat. It was it was great, uh, this show. We had a, a big uptake and people participating in the chat than the last one, which makes sense. It's a home game. A lot more people want to get in on the discussion. And thanks to everybody who participated in the Forever Mighty Three Star Leaderboards. If you haven't, there's plenty of time to get in. Uh, I think the leader right now, uh, Ricky Bradley, only has five points. That's barring. I don't know what he got tonight. But it, really, I mean, you can get three out of three and one that and be right back in the discussion. We have monthly prizes, so make sure you get in while you can. Cool. And we'll see you guys on Wednesday. Everyone have a great night.